Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello, and welcome to The Compliance Files podcast of The Compliance Institute. I'm Kathy Jacobs, President of The Compliance Institute, and it's a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. In November 2002, at a meeting in Irish Life offices in Abbey Street in Dublin, about 80 compliance officers gathered and began the process that led to the establishment of the then ACOI, now the Compliance Institute. We are now celebrating our 20th anniversary. I'm delighted to welcome as a guest today, one of the founding members and indeed our founding president. Mr. Niall Gallagher. Welcome, Niall. Thank you, Cathy. It's a great pleasure for me to participate in this and to see the development of compliance over the years and particularly the newly formed Compliance Institute. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you, Niall, for those kind words. Niall, as I said, was one of the founding fathers of the then ACOI back in 2002. With a distinguished career in banking, compliance did not register on Niall's radar when starting out his career in banking back in the early 1960s. Indeed, his initial career path with AIB took a slightly unconventional route, and it was only in 1997 when he veered off into compliance and ethics until he retired in 2008. Niall joined what was then the old Munster and Leinster Bank back in 1964 and served in the main office in Cork for seven years. He took four years off on a bank scholarship to do a degree in UCC and then moved to AIB's head office in Dublin. He continued his education and completed another degree in Trinity IMI, which led him down a path to strategic development and planning within the bank and a role in strategy for the bank's business in Britain. Throughout his career, Niall worked in various departments of the bank, business development, investor relations, as well as corporate finance. In 1997, Niall was offered the role of Group Head of Compliance, where he spent the rest of his career, until he handed over the primary compliance role to focus on a more dedicated role as Head of Business Ethics. Since retiring, Niall has spent a lot of his time working as Chairman of Irish Heritage, a voluntary arts organisation in London, which supports young Irish classical musicians in establishing their professional careers and promoting the work of Irish composers. Niall is here to take part in our celebrations and to give our listeners some insight into the founding vision, what the challenges were and his hopes for the future of the profession. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Niall, and thanks for talking to us today. Thank you, Cathy. Niall, can you talk us through your career, where you started and eventually where you ended up? Well, thank you. I think you introduced it well, so I won't go over the time, but I started in branch banking, took time off, as you say, to do a university degree, then joined the head office of AIB in Dublin, which was at the time a very expansive time in Irish banking the mergers of banks and the development of international trade. And that led me then to do a degree. And part of that degree was to look at the strategy of our business then developing in Britain. And because of that, I became rather attached to our business in Britain and ended up being transferred or taking an offer to work in the bank in Britain where, as you say, I had a fairly wide-ranging set of rules at the group office in, uh, in London, keeping the contacts and my responsibility to report back as a group uh, employee to Dublin. And that was a time 
a lot of excitement in the banking world. A lot of the regulation really got uh, got tied up in the, the new financial service authorities, and obviously the uh, the big bang in in London. And so it was a time when I learned a lot about banking, not just in AIB, but in the city of London and adjoining international areas. So from that, as you say, I took a leap into being appointed group compliance officer, which I was somewhat equipped because of the knowledge of the business, but not on the technical side. I was fortunate to have a number of mentors in Dublin and in Belfast who understood the technicalities of compliance. So I gradually started the process of building an infrastructure of compliance in AIB. I also did diploma in, in London University and joined two compliance institutes in London, one dealing with the insurance and banking, the other with the securities market. So I, I learned quite a lot from that, which then I was able to import to my knowledge of uh, compliance in the wider sense. And, and as you say, once the first period of my compliance life came to a, an end and I was almost looking at, at, at exiting and, and retiring, I got this terrific offer to work as the uh, group ethics officer of group compliance business ethics as it was titled. And that saw me through to 2008 when I retired. But in the meantime, ACY as it was then, now the Compliance Institute was born. And you've obviously, you've had a very wide ranging career through, through the bank. Have you had any guiding values that steered you through your working life and that stayed with you? Yeah, I, when I reflect on that question, I think there are a few things that stand out in my mind that have portability across the business. But I think, for me, understanding the business and its role in society was seminal at every stage of the career. I think recognising shareholder value and the commercial and moral perspective was something that I learned quite early on and was able to use in terms of my compliance career and, and business ethics career. So value-driven businesses and businesses with integrity from the top to the bottom and leadership by example were things that I always sort of stood by and watched and learned and didn't always work out quite that way, mind you. But the final point, I think, was embracing change and adaptability with a clear vision, which I would give to anybody, but it certainly helped me when I made that transfer from, if you like, the commercial side of the bank to the ethics and business uh, compliance area. And obviously also education and, and upskilling, you did that throughout your career and eventually that's how ACUI began. What were the drivers when ACUI did begin life? What were the drivers and what was your role and involvement in bringing it to life? Well. I would put a certain amount of it into my experience of working in London at the time. Because as I mentioned, I was a member of Appliance Institute and Securities House. And as I travelled backwards and forwards to Dublin, as I did very regularly in the new role of compliance officer, trying to pull things together, I easily recognised that there wasn't an equivalent for compliance officers in, in Ireland. There, was, there wasn't a forum there wasn't a collective, there wasn't a, an educational process. And I talked to a number of people internally and then externally, and I met people like Institute of Banking, who I had a, a fairly close association with throughout, and talked about the idea of establishing a forum for compliance officers. And that quickly emanated into an educational focus. And the more we looked at it, and the more I talked to a number of colleagues in the bank, in the Institute of Bankers, and in the central bank, 
because my role in compliance had brought me in contact with some people in the central bank, and one in particular that I'll come back to. And it convinced me that there was an opening, there was a need. And quickly we formed the view with a group of people who were of a like mind that this had to be a compliance institute that covered the entire area of financial services in Ireland and its role internationally. And unlike the situation in Britain, which I found fragmented and not inclusive, and, and it didn't really foster a wide appreciation beyond compliance even into business ethics, we quickly formed the view that this had to cover the entire spectrum of financial services. And so through a number of calls and a number of contacts, we assembled a group of people who represented widely from investment banking, IFSC, to insurance, insurance broking, to retail banking, uh, commercial banking, and formed what appeared to be a nucleus of a representative group. And that then encouraged us to talk to the those in, in existing in educational bodies, the Insurance Institute, LIA, and particularly the Institute of Bankers. And they were fully behind what we had in mind. So we called this meeting on the 27th of November 2002, as I recall, originally thinking maybe 30 people would turn up in the uh, Insurance Institute. In fact, we had over 100 people, I think, in, eventually in the Irish Life Office. And that led to the launch of what was then the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland with a, a group who formed the board, well representative and highly motivated. And what strikes me about that early days was the energy that we had with that group representing the three educational institutes and then nine different banks or insurance companies or brokers. And that sort of formed a very solid basis upon which we were able to move forward and move forward quite quickly. And the early days led into the formation of a, a quite an extensive dipl diploma in compliance and certificate in compliance. And within a quite a short space of time, by 2004, we had the launch of the original compliance diploma and compliance certificate by Mary O'Dea, who at the time was a senior member of the Central Bank of Ireland and to whom we had many contacts. And that was, was quite a start, really. And, and that very quickly led to what we were more than surprised. It wasn't a question of 50 or 60 people taking a diploma or just sort of doing the job, so to speak. We ended up in 2006 with 458 graduates, either diploma or certificate, in the first graduation ceremony, which was quite extraordinary at the time. And that just has continued. So what we started really has been continued by the present group. And uh, as people retired from one role, others took their place. And that energy and that professionalism as far as I can see from, from when looking back on it, has, retained, has been retained within the Compliance Institute. Well, I was at that meeting, Niall, and I remember, it's almost unbelievable now, there was no LinkedIn, 
there was no Facebook at the time. I believe it was almost a chain email that was sent around if, if you had someone's business card. So it's, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's extraordinary, you know, the power of collaboration and, and yes. obviously the power of your influencing and, and your persuasive powers and, and that group and the vision that that group had because it was, it was actually very exciting to be at that meeting and to, it really did, there was, a, there was a huge gap for us as, as, as compliance officers in the day-to-day -day challenges with no rule book, no manual, no established mm. playbook. So yes, I, I remember it well and, and huge credit um, to, to everybody involved in that. And, and that's why we're, we're here today. And you know, from little, from little acorns, um, great things yeah. grow. So what was the vision? Was there a vision or were you, were you just trying to meet a need at the time? Yes, good question. Well, there was a mission. There was a vision and a mission, and they became articulated shortly afterwards. But there was that single-minded need to work together, collaborate, to expand the network, and to rescue what one of my colleagues, Sean Wade, described as the lonely compliance officer. <laughs> there were plenty of lonely compliance officers at the time. And there was this feeling that we just needed to put an educational program that would act as the form of professionalizing an early stage compliance profession. Because in Ireland at that time, compliance wasn't that well developed. It was very much in the eye of the regulator to ensure that businesses were compliant, but it hadn't expanded into the wide variety of, of channels that it now does. And yet we could see from the regulators elsewhere around the world that it was, it was tightening. It was becoming a force in itself for enforcement and for, yeah. for the need to it. So I think there was that inherent need to work together and develop with the institutes, the Educational Institute, Institute of Banking particularly, and I, I pay tribute to Dr. Anthony Walsh for his leadership on that side, to actually produce something that was high quality educational offering. So the vision was an educational one, it was a networking one, and it was an expansive one. Well, I, I spoke earlier about my response, which was hugely uh, welcomed. What was the response generally from the compliance professionals sitting out there, the, all those lonely compliance officers? I would say it was of singular support. There were no sceptics. People just bought into the idea of it and used their own experience and their own talent. And we had a pretty talented group of people who were maybe in senior positions in compliance in an organization, big organizations like the major banks, AIB, Bank of Ireland, Ulster and Northern and TSB, and small broking houses. And suddenly in a, a small brokerage, you had a person who was said responsible for compliance and yet very little support. So the support that came from that was a genuine one of, of fulfilling needs, but also getting, getting additional support and network. And can you give us a flavour of what were your early successes? You've, al you've already touched on that, but if you could talk us through your early successes and, and were there any frustrations? I think the early successes were the enthusiasm that, that exuded from it and the willingness to openly share experiences. And very often compliance officers were quite willing to talk in confidence about problems they had in their own companies that they may not feel comfortable to speak in-house. So we shared with a lot of people and we had numerous seminars and meetings, not as structured as you now have, but in those issues were discussed in confidence 
by people who, who felt a need and with some people who had other experience and were able to add to it. So that was one of the things that, that if, when I look back on it, was quite influential in binding together people, compliance officers, common needs. So I can't think of any scepticism. And it also coincided with the time when the regulator, Central Bank of Ireland principally, was looking for an education programme. And they contributed greatly to it. With the, the, one of the senior regulators was on our board and was very supportive of the movement to create that sense of, of belonging and that education programme. So I don't think there were any negative responses. On the contrary, there were perhaps, in typical form, people had been looking at compliance as the function in a bank that blocks progress. There was that old feeling that, oh, compliance is the negative side of business. But very quickly, I think we put that aside. And I think we have shown over the years that the participation of professional compliance officers adds huge value. And I think that's what we sought at the time without even knowing <laughs> how it would work out. Is there anything you would have done differently if you, if you were setting up ACI today? I think I would have brought in earlier the senior management and board directors, including NEDs, non-executives, to help shape the offering and promote compliance, identity and values. I think we tend to do it ourselves, and we did it ourselves successfully. But looking back, I think if I were starting, I would have gone into the boardrooms and I would have gone to chief executives and I would have uh, asked their advice. It mightn't have been any more successful, but I think it is something that is always valuable to sow so the seeds of compliance at board level and get ownership. So perhaps that is something that... And as you look back over the past 20 years, and especially on, in your own involvement in it, in ACY, what are you most proud of today of what you and, and those others created at that time? I think I, I would have huge pride in the team that got working together so quickly and have still stayed in touch and, and friendship. I think that was the energy that was in there was something that, that I'm really pleased that, that we had. And as I said, there were a number of, of contributors to that. So I think the support we got then from within the institutes and within the financial institutions was pretty good. Surprisingly, that you know we jumped up with this idea and yet a lot of our firms bought into it and, and supported us and sent, as it was, people then to do their educational programs and sponsored them to do that, which was very helpful that the industry, I think, got behind compliance officers and got behind the, as it was, association, now Institute. And I think the, there was a hunger there, which was clearly people who felt that with the growing depth and intensity of, of the regulation, they needed support and they needed an educational background, which touched on the law and touched on the moral side of it and the ethics side, which was very important as it merged into the compliance and business ethics. So I think the other thing, the final thing, I think, is the new found profile and recognition from the industry and from the regulators of how significant compliance is. So I think the profile that uh, the Compliance Institute has gathered over the years and is becoming a public offering is an important element, which again, I, I, I wish we had done more of in the early days, but it's been very successful.
So I, I, I would find that something. Yes, and I think ACY as well as United Compliance Institute, we really do want to be a differentiator in terms of Ireland's reputation. And we can see that, you know, with fintech and the new skills that are required, yeah. and new risk and compliance skills. We very quickly had an educational programme established to, to upskill our, our members in who, who want to work in, the, in that field because this is a new field. Ireland is a global fintech hub. And, and we need those skills on the ground from day one when there's a new industry. So, you know, hopefully that, that's a continuation of, of, of your vision and, and that we play our part in, in making Ireland an attractive place to do business because we have, yes. we have good, strong risk management and compliance risk management skills. And what advice would you have for someone considering a compliance career and for those who are, who are about to start? Well, the first thing is go for it and go for it with enthusiasm. But secondly, I think it's vital that people going into compliance learn about the business and its environment, get a pretty deep understanding of the business, and not to get what I call pigeonholed in a specialist area, because I think compliance essentially needs to work with the business and within the business, and never to be one step behind the front line. It needs to work with frontline, it needs to work with management. And that ability to rotate between different roles, and, and particularly within compliance, there's the technical role, there's the influencing role, and then there's the customer-facing roles. And I think the complete package needs all of those three elements uh, to make successful compliance. But the aim, ultimately, is to become a knowledgeable, trusted advisor as a compliance officer. To aim high and to become an experienced business leader is something that I think uh, everybody should aspire to. And frankly, the opportunities are endless for good compliance professionals in today's business world. So aim high. Yes, and I, I like to emphasize to anybody, any younger people coming into the profession or considering the, the profession, you know, how transferable the skills are. We are involved in almost everything that goes on in an institution where yes. we should be the first people who are consulted when anything's going on. So, and the, and the skills are eminently transferable. So um, I, would, I would definitely be a cheerleader for, for a compliance career as well. What do you see as the main challenges today that were not foreseen in 2002? Well, I think the scope of regulatory compliance has expanded beyond belief, and not just in financial services, it, it's, it's now throughout industry. FinTech is challenging, it's an important element and it is a great challenge, but the complexity and the high level of expectation now from regulators makes compliance just a, a challenging career, no question about that. And the enormity of financial fines, which is something that, that people have to take into consideration, but perhaps a challenge is also the merging of governance functions, which can make compliance part of the wider role of corporate governance, but it needs to retain an independence within that. And I think I've always felt that compliance needs to sit somewhere halfway between the external world, regulator and, and the public, and the internal demands of the commercial business, and manage those two with, with a clear focus on customers. And that, to me, is a continuing challenge to retain the Compliance Institute as a collection of independent people who have the greater need of the businesses. I think adopting technology in its full sense is a huge challenge, and artificial intelligence. People have to learn new skills in that. And 
finally, I think I would say that people should never lose sight of the ethical content of the Institute, that uh, its new title, <laughs> as it did in the beginning, recognizes that it is compliance and business ethics. And the two sit together. And I think one feeds off the other or feeds into the other. So I think these are some of the challenges, I think, that maybe weren't fully articulated or understood in 2002. And final question, what would you like to see the Compliance Institute now achieve in the next 5, 10, or indeed 20 years? <laughs> 20 years, long time. I think that's a very, very interesting area, and I think it's something that you're facing right on, particularly with a new institute, a new logo. But I think to follow the path to being a leading international educational and public influencing body, setting the standards for corporate behavior and nothing less in regulatory compliance and business ethics, and a leading body in promoting good ethical governance throughout financial services and beyond. In summary, I guess, a leading player in restoring the trust in financial services, and that shouldn't take 20 years. We finish there with those wise words of, of wisdom from you, Niall, and, and hopefully they will inspire everybody who listens to this podcast. Certainly your name has resonated for me in my career as someone who, who's to be looked up to and a, and a role model. And it's, it's been a real pleasure and a privilege actually for me, for me to talk to you today and for you share, sharing the vision and, and being actually kicking off our 20th anniversary celebration. So, so thank you very much, Niall. Thank you, Cathy. Very kind words. I would again like to reiterate, this was um, day one, a team effort. And keeping that team effort going within the Institute is something that I'm quite certain and feel very confident will persist. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.